Welcome to episode, scrolling up, 39 of The Bucket Problem. Um, I am not a sand vendor. My name is Dan, a.k.a. Thickstowskis, and I will be guest hosting uh, The Bucket Problem today. Um, This is my first time ever being the driving force behind this podcast. Well, I mean, I would say I'm more of a heart and soul um, of the podcast (laughs) normally. Uh, but this is going to be my first time um, being being the uh, the main voice of the podcast. So you have to be nice to me and not be mean to me um, and give me. I don't. I accept criticism, but it has to be constructive, and by that I mean um, it has to be uh, praise only, um, with maybe like one little nugget of criticism thrown in. Uh, we are brought to you by Homefield Apparel, as always, and uh, Points Bet, and we are a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Um, so, uh, since we last talked to you, uh, the both basketball teams seasons ended, um, with, I would say differing levels of, uh, overall, you know, good feelings, but, you know, still generally successful tournament seasons for both programs. Um, the hockey se- the hockey team had a great weekend and, uh, maybe we'll talk even a little bit about, um, some totally, uh, inconsequential spring game stuff at the very end. So um, the the football stuff will definitely go in the title of the podcast because that's what what drives the clicks. Everyone loves everyone. The pigs love their slop, um, but probably will be the <laughs> the minority of what we actually talk about. Um, so Ace, uh, the, how how is it going, and um, how does it feel to uh, not be the host of this podcast? I enjoyed being able to sit back and just uh, not have to speak there for a little while. So uh, you're you're crushing it so far. Um, yeah. Are you zoning out and like scrolling Twitter? Because that's what I usually do when you're doing the intro. Oh, most definitely. I have no idea yeah. whether it'd be nice to you or not. I heard something about that, but you know, just in one ear and out the other. Right. Of uh, course. No, uh, I'm uh, I'm getting over last night. That's kind of, and uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it was obviously a tremendous season for women's basketball, but uh, it's always rough um, when it comes to an end. Uh, Cause with this team, you always want to see it uh, get as far as humanly possible. And last night felt like uh, there could have been a little bit more there. And uh, also now with the news that Nas Hillman has declared for the WNBA draft, I'm uh, I'm working through some things right now. I'm working through it. Yeah. I would say I'm, uh, I'm feeling the same way. Um, bittersweet. Uh, definitely sweet because this was their best run ever, um, which followed up their, uh, you know, previously best run ever. Um, but absolutely bittersweet to see, you know, especially this senior class, this meant so much to the program and really, you know, is the foundation of what this program will be moving forward, given that, um, up to this point, Michigan women's basketball really, not uh, definitely not a storied program, um, not a whole lot of success to speak of. And uh, this is, I mean, you know, this class th- with themselves more or less, uh, you know, eclipse like the entire history of, of the program up to this point. So definitely bittersweet to see Nas go, but um happy for her and, you know, wishing her the best in the WNBA. Um, so I guess with, with, uh, with that out of the way, um, and because I'm running such a tight ship and we're not restating our big moods like we normally do. Um, <laughs> Ace, what is your big mood? Uh, it's my conflicted feelings after that game uh, last night in terms of it's 
it's incredible to see the progress that the program has made, not just over the years, but the fact that they got, I mean, to say they'd lost by 22 points at Louisville earlier this season doesn't really capture how badly they got their asses kicked when they went there. Um, I think they had 15 points at halftime. It was brutal. It, I mean, just uh, they didn't look like they belonged on the same court. And to get within two points at the final media timeout shows how far this program came just in the matter of a few months. Um, and, you know, there was there was that worry in the back of my mind. I thought this team would be competitive in this game, uh, certainly more competitive than they were in December. But there was that thought like, oh, man, what if they just blew Michigan out <laughs> like that would really stink and um, that didn't happen at all I mean this this was a tremendously tight game and then unfortunately Leah Brown gets injured again and misses the majority of the fourth quarter and Michigan just doesn't have it on offense uh, to overcome that and that that's the part that kind of sticks is that you know it was easier in past seasons to be like, well, Michigan did got everything they could out of this team. Um, it was very easy to feel that way last year by, you know, pushing Baylor to the brink uh, after beating Tennessee and getting into the first ever Sweet 16. But, you know, even though this was the, the first ever Elite Eight, it really looked like a Final Four banner was there for the taking. And then uh, fate intervened a little bit. And um, that was... Uh, that's still a little tougher to swallow. I, I know there's the uh, the tweet that Alex Kirshner set out about how Michigan fans are so different after football games than after basketball games when, when the team loses. And I certainly feel that to an extent where it's like, oh, that's okay. It was a great season. And generally, I feel better about having experienced that. At the same time, it's like, oh, man. I, like, I, I mean, especially like in my circumstance where... Um, I kind of hopped on this bandwagon uh, like during the tournament run run of Nas Hillman's freshman year and the senior classes uh, first year here. And um, so that's kind of all the Michigan women's basketball I know is centered on Nas Hillman as the team superstar and to contemplate what it's going to look like now that her career is over at Michigan is, uh, uh, we'll get to that later, but it's it's kind of hard to picture just because that's all I know. So last night uh, felt pretty sad, all things considered, um, especially as the uh, press conference quotes and video came out where they said really lovely and heart-wrenching things about uh, the team and you know how close they are and what this season meant. So uh I'm feeling very thankful for the season, and I'm also feeling really bummed that it's over. I'm done rambling, Dan. You can keep hosting. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it, it's, Ace, I, I don't know if you got the memo, but you're not the host of this uh, episode. <laughs> um, no, I, I share a lot of those same feelings, and uh, it's 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 sad to see the season end. You know, no way no way around it, um, but hard not to feel, you know. I mean, yeah, the like the really emblematic. It would have been the perfect capper to the season to uh, – come from you know where they were at the beginning of the season losing to louisville and uh getting smoked to you know gutting one out and and making a final four and then probably getting smoked by south carolina but that's you know <laughs> that's not that, but you made a final four and at that point i mean you know 
I think you have to appreciate Final Fours for what they are in both sports. Oh, you know, those yes. are those are banner worthy, and it's not you know winning a national title is really hard. So um, you know, but but yeah, it 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 just didn't quite happen. Um, there, we'll talk a little bit more about you know uh, about how exactly the game went in a second here, but. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead with my big mood. Um, and that is, it's kind of another men- melancholy one. Um, for me, the end of the college basketball season, uh, which I guess not technically yet, but you know, final four weekend, you get a couple games and, uh, Michigan's not in them, so I don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, this, the end of the college basketball season to me is, um, really the beginning of the real off season. Um, because now, you know, we're going into a couple months here of, no football and no basketball. Um, and, you know, you have the NBA. I like the NBA playoffs, at least the latter round of the NBA playoffs. But this regular season, the last regular season, the last bit of the regular season of, NBA, of the NBA is pretty brutal in terms of uh, um, entertainment uh, value. Uh, and um, hockey, college hockey still going on. Uh, but, you know, again, getting to the last weekend. The NHL well, technically so. exists. <laughs> The NHL technically exists. I got to say, that is like the one sport I have just never been able to like draw myself into. I know people like it. I like hockey. Like I like watching hockey when it's on. I've just like never been able to truly follow the NHL. It's just maybe that's just a a personal flaw. Um, But the NHL has made that difficult. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, And uh, and and. So, so I would just say, you know, it's, it's the beginning of the off season starting to feel sad. Um, they're going to start really, uh, grasping at straws for, you know, rumblings about the football team and going, um, really kind of going goblin mode for the next couple of months, um, in terms of like scrounging around for like little scraps of information. But, um, it was, it was an enjoyable season. I mean, all things considered, and I, I really do roll, you know, the football season rolling into the basketball season, it both definitely had their ups and downs, but I mean, you, you, You'd be hard pressed to say that it wasn't a successful year for Michigan athletics. And um, honestly, all Michigan athletics are, have been really, really stellar, um, at least on the field um, this, this calendar year. And uh, it's, you know, feels, uh, feels good, but you know, is, is sad that the season's ending. Um, so with that, uh, checking the script here, we do not have an ad read uh, until um until after this part so i will go right into it ace let's talk a little bit uh more in depth about the louisville game um i felt that the big difference in this game was that i mean basically i felt that if they were going to win if michigan was winning this game it was going to have to be on the back of nas hillman and that's basically almost how it was i felt the main difference between uh, Michigan and Louisville. And I, I made this point clear online. So sorry if I'm, you know, being a dead horse here, but, um, Michigan's ball handlers really did not feel comfortable with the ball in their hands all night. Um, Ace, do you agree there? Oh yeah. I mean, this was a situation where you really see how high the level of guard play is at the really upper echelon of college basketball, Michigan. I mean, they run into Louisville's press. And their Emily Angsler is the most impactful defensive forward I think I've ever seen. Uh, she probably had the best uh, one for nine uh, field goal performance in the history of women's basketball in that game. Um, she had six steals by herself. Uh, Louisville had 15 total. And a lot of that was just Michigan um, 
either not being able to cleanly break a press uh, that they very much knew was coming or um, as per usual with this team, trying to force entry passes into Nas Hillman when the angle is just not there. Um, Hillman also had four turnovers herself, but uh, given how much doubling uh, in the post Louisville was doing uh, and the general level of pressure I had, I, I think one or two of those were bad pass attempts out of doubles and a couple were just like, she got swarmed and that'll happen given the nature of her game. But yeah. Uh, I, and I mean, I, I really, I, I agree with what you said there about the bad post passes. I mean, you have to feed Donz, especially in a game like this when she's really the only player having a consistent offensive success. But there were certain times where it's just like, where was that pass supposed to be going? You know, like how was that supposed to make its way to Nas Hillman? Um, and uh, it felt a lot like from, in terms of like the, the guards, it felt kind of like that, men's Illinois game. Remember when they got smoked by Illinois uh, when IO was out um, yes. in 2021? Uh, and it was like kind of out of nowhere. Like it was really the only game they got blown out in all year. Um, well, that's not what well, does matter. Uh, but it, it felt like it. it felt like that game where, you know, Michigan obviously was able to scrap in this game a lot I and mean, keep it, you know, close to spite offensive struggles. But in terms of like the type of offense they were getting, it felt a lot like that just because like it, it just felt like Michigan cr- could create nothing off the dribble uh, off the dribble. And um, they were really, really having to scrap on offense and uh, credit to the defense. You know, they, they, they hustled really hard to force uh, Louisville into some tough shots and Louisville missed enough of them that it was, you know, close down the stretch, but at the end of the day, just not enough offense. Yeah, I mean, Michigan's half-court defense was absolutely phenomenal. It was just that, you know, Louisville was able to get out and run uh, off of those turnovers, and that that ultimately is the difference between these two offenses in terms of output. Um, obviously, Haley Van Lith uh, was fantastic in terms of her ability to get shots off the dribble, uh, make a lot of mid-range jumpers, and that's something that uh, between that and, you know, just long-range shooting, Michigan only makes – three other 14 threes, all three of them were by Maddie Nolan, who um, was taken out of the starting lineup in favor of Leah Brown. And I very much was in support of putting Leah Brown in the starting lineup for this game. But uh, you could tell that Michigan didn't really have uh, a high level of shooter on the floor because Louisville was getting away with pressing really hard early and Michigan was missing a bunch of corner threes and finally put Maddie Nolan in to be like, "We, we need to hit one of these just so they don't press every time. Uh, but you know, Layla Felia goes over five from three goes for 17 from the field overall. And she was the guard who athletically, uh, really belonged out there. Um, in, you know, she, lo- she looks like a player who'd be in the final four. Uh, the issue is yeah. she's a true freshman. She's been brought along, you know, pretty slowly this year. She didn't play much in the, in the first game against Louisville. And you could tell that just, um, I mean, her three-pointer wasn't quite falling, and then their length and activity on the inside and their just overall uh, level of athleticism as a team uh, was getting to her a little bit more than she was used to. Yeah, um, totally agree. Uh, this was a game where they really needed Layla Filia to be, uh, you know, to kind of take charge, at least from a ball handling perspective, and didn't quite do that. Um, had a couple of nice, couple of nice moments, but overall, maybe not her best effort. Um, you know, which is 
it, that's really nothing to to uh, be ashamed of, given the quality of Louisville's defense. Um, Michigan had some success running some skip passes for Maddie Nolan. Uh, she had some corner threes. She was hot early. Um, I also felt, you know, I think Kim Kim Bartzerico did a tremendous job uh, all season. You know, obviously she's uh, she's she's a great coach. Hope Michigan keeps her around for as long as she's willing to stay. Um, I did kind of feel that the press was a problem on both ends of the floor. I felt that Michigan ran a little bit too much press and it generated some pretty good looks for Louisville and Michigan. This might not have been as much of a coaching issue as just an athleticism issue, but Michigan was not ready. It wasn't ready for the press really. Um, and also did not at any point make Louisville pay for pressing. Um, so I'm not sure if you agree there. Yeah. I mean, I think like one or two of Nolan's threes came off a. Of- uh, beating the press and otherwise Michigan didn't really have the number of just like free buckets that you'd expect to get against a team that pressured that much. But I mean, we saw, you know, Michigan tried to bring Amy Dilkin for a little bit and she just wasn't, I mean, she had one turnover where they pressured her from behind and she just wasn't able to handle it. Um, turnovers have been kind of her uh, bugaboo, like all, all throughout her career and obviously turnovers have been kind of this team's uh you know kind of the thorn in their side all season so um it wasn't shocking to see it play out that way but uh i do wonder if there was maybe i mean it's hard because michigan is a team that uh especially defensively is very much built on having emily kaiser in the game playing with two bigs um and at the they they weren't constructed i mean we've been talking about guard play. Um, they weren't constructed to go away from that, but you know, you often had Kaiser in the middle of the floor while Michigan was trying to break that pass press as kind of the, um, intermediary between a guard on either side. And a lot of those turnovers were happening as the ball was kind of getting swung through Michigan center, um, while trying to beat Louisville's press and, that seemed like a hard way to live. I don't know if there was a way that they could have adjusted to that, but it, it, uh, th- this was a really difficult matchup for Michigan. Um, and, uh, I mean, given that they committed to 22 turnovers, I'm honestly, uh, surprised it was this close. And that says a whole lot about how good this team was defensively because, uh, Hillman was the only player to score in double figures. Yeah, totally agree. Um, great defensive effort and, uh, Really also, you know, last thing I'll say about a gritty performance multiple times, it felt that, you know, it, this was the type of game where you look, you watched and Louisville is pretty clearly the better team, as I think we've talked about already. But um, several times I really felt like this was about to get out of hand. And, uh, you know, I wasn't even really that upset about it because it felt like Michigan was doing enough to stay around. But they they really came back every time and uh, until they, they basically just ran out of time. Um, and that was that was really impressive, really gutty performance. Um, so moving on to South Dakota, we'll talk about this quickly since people, uh, you know, we've already uh, seen that game at this point. Yeah. Um, but uh, Philia has a big game. I think this was a really a game that showed um, what she is capable of doing, uh, you know, against a team that maybe doesn't have the athleticism to match. Uh, a couple of big threes and the go-ahead bucket with the game tied at 48 with under a minute to go. Um, this was a close game all the way, uh, South Dakota, um, definitely a lot better than their seeding, uh, really, really good, um, 10 seed. Um, and, uh, South, uh, South Dakota was, um, 
really focused on fronting the uh, post um, and uh, denying post entry passes to Hillman. Um, Hillman still got her buckets with uh, on the offensive glass. Um, overall, just I mean, this felt like uh, this felt like a, a team that really, really wanted this elite, elite eight appearance. And um, even though South Dakota was better than their seeding, um, was not going to let them stop stop them from getting there. Um, any uh, any comments from you, Ace? Yeah, I mean, like this should have probably felt a little bit foreboding given that uh, Hillman and Felia had 11 of Michigan's 20 field goals in this game. Uh, and Michigan shot only three for 17 from beyond the arc. I, I guess, you know, there was the hope that they would bounce back from such a subpar performance, but um, they were shooting in the same building and it didn't go great. Uh, this was like the box scores for these two teams are basically identical uh, on the team wide stat basis, but uh, Philia made the big play at the end. Michigan was able to do this in front of a crowd that seemed like it was about 75% in favor of South Dakota. I don't know how they got the whole state down there, but they, they really rallied for their team. Um, only other thing I want to say on this one is it was really great to see, you know, for somebody who really did not have the senior season that they anticipated uh, to see Amy Dilt come in and play some really big medicine this one. She gets 22 in this game and throw a really gorgeous assist to Nas Hillman on an entry pass and then be responsible for... She was the primary defender on South Dakota's final possession, which got completely obliterated and ended in a three-pointer that missed by probably 10 feet. Um, And Amy Dilk was on the ball for most of that and did a phenomenal job of shutting that down. So... Just wanted to I mention that given that, you know, I actually got a mailbag question last week that said what happened to Amy Dilk? Like she had, I don't know, uh, left the team or something. But uh, I don't know. She was still out there, and it was great to see her make a couple really big plays down the stretch to get Michigan to that first ever Elite Eight. Yeah, I mean, it was tremendous to see just the whole team and the way they reacted to winning that game and how happy they were and happy Kim Barnes, how happy Kim Barnes-Rico was. Um, so... Awesome to see them win the game, even though it was a, probably a little bit uglier than we had hoped. Um, I think uh, I think there was a point in this season where this team was really gelling, and and people were and uh, you know Maddie Nolan was shooting, um, and and Leia Brown was uh, you know was not injured, uh, frankly, um, and everything was really coming together, and this team had options besides Nas Hillman. Um, and, you know, they still made this run. Um, they still, you know, the, the making the Elite Eight is absolutely a success for this program. Um, didn't didn't quite do enough in, in the Big Ten tournament or down the stretch to win the uh, the regular season title. And I think I think kind of some of that is that is because um, this team reverted a little bit towards going totally through Nas Hellman. And particularly for the reason that, you know, that, that, that Ace just stated that, they really didn't have another player that could consistently score um, a lot of really good role players. And, uh, but, you know, probably needed um, a little bit more out of, out of some other, uh, you know, some other playmakers, if they were going to, you know, um, make to the final four or, you know, finish in the big 10 tournament or uh, win the regular season title. But, you know, that's not nothing to take away from, from the team's accomplishments. Um, I do just think it's, you know, when you look at this program, you know, going forward, which, you know, I think we're going to do a little bit in, in the next segment. I think you think you, you start to see how, you know, having multiple role players um, 
you know, along with potentially a dominant big is, you know, where this team, you know, can definitely has, has ceiling to explore or this program has ceiling to explore, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, you know, it, they, they can put a lot of talent around whoever is the star next year. Uh, it, it keeps going up. Um, but this tournament, I mean, the Leah Brown injury at the end of the season, uh, Michigan dropping four of their last six and uh, just, you know, to, to not get that big 10 banner to not have her available for the big 10 tournament and to bow out in the first game. And then to have her injured, you know, basically at the beginning of the fourth quarter against Louisville with a final four berth on the line was tremendously unlucky for the team. Uh, but also kind of shows that um, compared to some other, uh, other teams that had made it this far that Michigan, you know, didn't necessarily have, uh, the top tier depth uh, that some of these programs are able to turn to. And uh, when Leah Brown wasn't on the court, Michigan's number two score was a true freshman. And um, that works if you're UConn and you have AZ <laughs> FUD. Uh, it's, it's a little tougher when you're Michigan. And uh, usually your program is about developing players for multiple years. Um, and, uh, I was impressed with how far they got given, uh, given the circumstances and, uh, you know, you also saw why they couldn't quite take that next step when, when Leah Brown went out. Um, and it's a shitty way to, to find out that that's, uh, kind of the next thing that the program needs to do is, uh, build more, uh, high talent depth, um, and, you know, maybe get, more scores who are able to perform at the highest level, but Michigan hadn't been to this level before. So uh, overall, a, an incredible season and just, uh, you know, still kind of trying to process feeling like Michigan could have beaten a one seed if uh, a couple things had just broken a little bit different. Uh, but for the program, that's a hell of a place to be. Absolutely. Speaking of, uh, I'm attempting to do my first ever segue on this podcast. Um, speaking of top tier depth, uh, which is something that you said in the previous segment, I believe at some point, um, home field apparel has top top tier depth. No matter what your favorite team is, uh, they have incredible designs. They added a new Michigan basketball design, uh, I believe, at halftime of Villanova of of the uh, Sweet Sixteen game that Michigan lost. But whatever, um, <laughs> great Michigan great Michigan basketball design. Uh, they just added. Go check it out. Um, added a couple new jog, uh, joggers. I believe I saw a Purdue jogger. Um, Use code bucket problem for 15% off your first order from home field apparel. That is homefieldapparel.com. Um, as always, uh, if you have already ordered once, you can just use a different email. Um, they, they won't know. Just use the same address. Um, that's a little, little trick of the trade. Um, it is almost refresh season. And I don't know if there's something, uh, Ace, you can cut this out if you want to. I'm not sure if there's something I'm supposed to say about be, it being refresh season. Nope. Just that we're excited that it's almost refresh season. We're excited that it's almost refresh season, folks. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the bucket problem is also brought to you by the Points Bet app. Uh, download the Points Bet app and use promo code BUCKETPROB. That's Bucket P R O B to get 100% of your deposit match up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 in the form of free bets. 
To get that bonus though, you must use bucket prob. That's bucket P-R-O-B, all one word. Uh, please gamble responsibly. Set limits. Avoid chasing losses. Never bet what you can't afford to lose. Take breaks when you need it. Use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Uh, that was actually my favorite part that I, I was I was looking the most forward to doing was the uh, <laughs> speeding through the, the, the gam- yeah the gambling warning. <laughs> <laughs> it's really the best part of the pod. You just get to it is you just get oh, to yeah. People zone in that. and be like I'm about to read this copy so fast. <laughs> yeah, we should do it. We should do an oops all ad reads version of uh, the bucket <laughs> problem one of these days. People oh, yeah. love that. They'll, they'll definitely subscribe for that. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, we are talking program futures. A um, little bit of a retrospective here now that both seasons are over. Uh, I'll talk about Villanova real quick, I, I suppose. Um, Ace, I don't know about, I mean, we, we talked about, I, I was a little bit um, optimistic about this game because they really didn't have anyone to match up with Dickinson. That proved to be true. However, Michigan decided to simply not make any of their shots. Um, and that's kind of the story of this one. Uh, Michigan generated a lot of good looks. Um, they just didn't hit a lot of them. Uh, particularly Hunter really didn't have his best game. Um, he was fine, but it was not his best game. Houston hit an early three and then did almost nothing. Um, Devonte Jones still did not look a hundred percent. Um, and, uh, in addition to all of that, uh, Musi Diabate was uh, a complete zero, um, at least on offense. So um, all that said, they lost a overall competitive game, but one that they could never quite you know, pull ahead in. Um, and uh, they looked a lot like the team that we kind of saw all year, which was uh, one that played a complete clunker every other game. Um Ace, uh, any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the frustrating part of this particular clunker was that you could it could have very easily been, uh, I, I won't say a romp over a two seed, but I, I think they could have had a relatively comfortable win. But they shoot 15 for 43 on two-pointers, which is uh, abominable. And also 7 for 14 at the free throw line, uh, just in yeah. case we, we hadn't mentioned that yet. Um, making half your free throws against a team as good as Villanova, literally the best free throw shooting team ever, uh, is is not a way that you're going to win. So, I mean, the, the difference in this game is that Villanova had one efficient score, Jermaine Samuels, um, and Michigan had zero efficient scores. Uh, Dickinson needed 16 of field goal attempts and four free throw attempts to, to get to 15 points. Um, and he was easily Michigan's best offensive player. Eli Brooks hit a, a few big three-pointers, but was two for nine from two. Um, and Michigan got nothing from the bench, which uh, you're probably pretty accustomed to at this point. Um, and yeah, just uh, it, it was a fitting way for this team to go out because they weren't consistent this year on offense uh, or defense. And Villanova just had, you know, that that experience there where, I mean, you kind of knew that like Colin Gillespie was going to hit a couple big shots late, and Villanova was going to win this game, and uh, that's what ended up happening. Even though Michigan played a much cleaner game than they normally do, only eight turnovers, but um, you have to score points against Villanova. I think that one's uh, pretty straightforward, and uh, Michigan's uh, just biffing a bunch of layups that they normally make was how this season ended, but. Um, it's hard to say that Michigan was more deserving of a final four spot than Villanova. So I'm not particularly 
or an elite eight spot than Villanova. So I'm not particularly broken up about this one because I don't think Michigan would have made it through the next game. Yeah, you know, I think um, we talk a little bit of well, we'll talk about the future of the program, but I do think it's um, I think it's somewhat encouraging to know that you know this is a Villanova team that just uh, pretty easily beat Houston. I think was that was that game close? I'm totally drawing a blank right now. Uh, I think it was. I, Nova pulled away, I believe. They, yeah. They had, they had pretty good control in that game. So, you know, I mean, and this is one – Villanova at this point is one of the premier basketball programs uh, in the country. And, um, you know, Michigan played them pretty tough the whole way um, and probably wins, I think, with just like a better – just like a better shooting performance. I wouldn't even say shooting. We're, we're talking about, you know, just finishing. converting, yeah. you know, finishing performance. Um, and I met says good things about where the program's at, that they, you know, this is the type of program that like just isn't an easy out, even when they're bad. This is easily they were the worst they've been under uh, under Howard um, and the worst they've been probably since like, you know, 2016. Um, and they're still not an easy out. They still made the Sweet 16. So, um, you know, I, I think that there's, you know, obviously room for improvement, but uh, it's uh, the, 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 the tournament overall, I think, was um, encouraging. Um in terms of outlook for next year and just moving forward, um, a lot's up in the air. And I think a lot's up in the air uh, just in all over the country, really, not just at Michigan. Um, we'll talk about specifically Michigan, but I didn't want to kind of point out that um, or make the point, I suppose, that I think that the transfer portal is has really reshaped the way th- teams are thinking about roster building. Um, in football, I think it's a little bit overstated because so much, you know, you're only bringing in like maybe five uh, transfers a year, give or take. Um, and that's such a low amount of your, uh, you know, your overall scholarship base. Um, it definitely makes a difference, but you know, it's, it's more nuanced in basketball teams really are just remaking their rosters year to year. Um, that's due to the fact that you have one and dones, you have guys that, you know, don't want to sit around and, and wait for, you know, their chance. They want to go to another program. There's also different levels. So you have uh, guys that aren't playing at big schools can go down to smaller schools and get a good amount of playing time. But then you have stars at smaller schools that want to play at bigger schools. So like the fact that there's 300 teams makes that like breadth of, of transfer, um, you know, the type of transfer you can have uh, a lot different. And um I just really think it's interesting. You know, Michigan was actually on the lower end of this. They didn't see a transfer out last year, which is, I think they were like the literally one of the only programs in America that didn't see it. Um, so when we talk about like the off season, like, wow, you know, there's a lot of uh, question marks. That's more or less the case for almost any program. Um, you look it around doesn't the big mean 10, we're being lazy about our research. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the, And that's the important <laughs> part is that we did our research. We just don't know what to say. I mean, you look around at some of Michigan's uh, rivals in the big 10, you look at Michigan State, they have no idea what they're, you know, like who's going to be back next year. They've got some promising guards and some guys they know they're coming back, but they're going to have to like get some key pieces from the portal. Illinois, uh, Andre Corbello just hit the transfer portal. Kofi, who knows what he's going to do. You know, like the, these people, these these uh, these programs and these players have decisions to make. So I think it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what, you know, what happens with college basketball moving forward. With all that said, Michigan is waiting on more or less – Three decisions, um, Hunter Dickinson, Musi Debate, and Caleb Houston uh, to make their NBA draft decisions. Um, how that shakes out is going to obviously uh, heavily impact what Michigan does in the transfer portal and what they look like next year. Um, 
I guess I will add my uh, preliminary takes that it seems like Hunter Dickinson is maybe 60% uh, leaning out the door. Um, seems like he might be, even though he's not necessarily NBA, uh, an NBA type player, he might not be get any better over, you know, one, two more years at Michigan. Um, then he might just be kind of done with the whole college basketball thing. Um, Diabate seems like he wants to leave, but there's not a, he's not on basically any draft boards and Houston feels like the safest bet to stay um, because he's not on any draft bar boards. And it seemed like before the season, he wanted to stay. Um, and he, you know, both, both, both Musa and Houston, I think could gain a lot by staying an extra year. Um, so Ace, uh, what are your thoughts on those three players? Yeah, I mean, they they all have a certain level of decision to make. Uh, I think with Dickinson, he showed a lot of, you know, improvement in his game this year that even if NBA teams don't see him as a finished product, I, I think someone's going to be willing to take him as a developmental guy, go, hey, I mean, this is a seven-footer that's, you know, got three point range and is also a really good post player and passer and see if um, they can get him up good enough on the defensive end to uh, make his offense play. Cause I think his offense can play in the NBA. Um, Diabate is in a, he's got the highest potential. I think of any of these guys, he also has uh, the most basketball skills to put together. I, I think teams are going to want to see more from him. Uh, and at the, but at the same time, if he decides to jump in, it's another case where you just need one team to fall in love with his size and athleticism combo and see the potential skill there, uh, for him to go off the board. Houston is the one where, you know, his skill was shooting and he was inconsistent as shooting as a shooter this year. Um, there were athletic limitations that I think are going to really concern, uh, NBA scouts. And I think. A summer of working with uh, John Sanderson in a in a strength program that has shown it can really improve explosive athleticism and turn guys who weren't on the NBA radar into NBA caliber athletes. Uh, I think he's going to want that over being drafted by a team that may not want to put too many resources into developing him. Uh, you know, if he's kind of an afterthought on a roster, uh, I don't think that's going to serve him particularly well. So. I agree with you that Houston is probably the most likely to return. And um, I just hope that Michigan gets one of Dickinson or Diabate back because uh, centers are hard to come by. Um, and uh, otherwise, um, I, I, I would guess Diabate stays and, and Dickinson leaves, but um, that is based on uh, zero insider information. Yep. Yeah, I, I think I'm leaning the same way there. If Houston leaves, I that's just one of those where – you really look, we've been wrong before. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people shook their head at Jordan Poole leaving early. Um, not me. <laughs> yeah, not, not, I, I didn't either actually. Um, yeah, he, uh, he's, uh, he's very much panned out, um, which I couldn't be happier about. Um, but Houston will be one where it's like, I don't see what he, he needs to get more athletic, stronger, more confident, more consistent. If he's going to be a, um, you know, an NBA draft uh, prospect. I mean, he, uh, it, it seems like that one just wouldn't make sense. And he's still so young that he could come out next year and still be like 18 years old, you know, which still matters to, to NBA, um, GMs, uh, Giabate, I could see just because it seems like 
you know, he can't make money on NIL because he's from France, which is very silly, um, but whatever. Um, but, you know, and he's got that just like, he could be a type that, that GMs take because he's just so athletic, even though um, he really was pretty rough down the stretch, honestly. Um, he's, he needs to work on catching and dunking basketballs. Um, and then Hunter, I think, is one where it's like, he might just be looking at it like, hey, I can shoot now. Um, I, I don't know what else I really can do in college. Um, you know, he can make, he, he's making a lot of money in, on NIL. Um, he's probably making more money on NIL than if he was sitting on a G league roster. I don't, I mean, I don't know how much, eh, we don't need the ball, but I'm going to guess he's making more money on NIL right now than he would on a G league roster. But I, I, I can't say for certain. Um, but, you know, sometimes guys are just done with college and you never really know why someone, you know, Hunter Dickinson. I mean, I get that, it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and, and and he got like his real college experience this year where, you know, last year he was during the pandemic and all that. But, uh, you know, he just might be a guy that's done. Um, but I'd absolutely love to have him back, obviously. Um, in terms of what we're bringing, you know, obviously the decisions there, uh, I think, are uh, we we expect the over under there to be one and a half of those guys leaving? Ideally, you get one of Diabate and Hunter back because that's you know really really need to need a center next year um, to step up. Uh, guys coming in, we have a uh, high four star shooting forward Jet Howard, son of Juwan Howard, brother of uh, Jace Howard, um, kind of a uh, sort of a wing guard hybrid. Um, you know, reputed uh, as it, not the type of kid that is a just, you know, a high recruit because of the name. Um, he's actually a very good recruit, a uh, very good shooter, can create off the dribble. Um, high four star Terrace Reed, um, guy who's 6'11", but with like a monster wingspan. Um, the type of bigs that are, you know, really popular uh, in the NBA nowadays. Um, I think I don't think I'm just talking on my ass about that. Uh, but, you know, wingspan is really big in the NBA. Um more of a uh, a, a paint bound, you know, not not necessarily a floor stretcher, um, but really good prospect. Uh, four star point guard Doug McDaniel, um, another small guard, uh, but one that can shoot. Um, kind of you know in in the Frankie Collins mold, but with a jump shot, which um, would be nice. And then uh, kind of back end of the top hundred, four star Greg Glenn, who is seen as uh, I, I believe seen as a little bit more of a project at this stage. It's somewhat Terrence Williams like in terms of he's a guy who you're going right. to to do a lot of the, the dirty work and then you hope that the rest of the game kind of fills out around him. Right, exactly. Which I don't think anyone's really opposed to uh, another Terrence, uh, Terrence Williams uh, at this point. I don't know if uh, a lot of us will be opposed to maybe seeing more of our own current Terrence Williams <laughs> on the <Yes>. floor. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, and then that leaves two scholarships. Uh, that leaves us two scholarships over the limit, but um, you're almost certainly going to see, uh, almost certainly going to see, um, I guess J- Devontae Jones counts against that. He's not coming no, back. No, Jones doesn't count. Jones yeah. doesn't count against that. They're two oh, gosh, over, yeah, they're two right. over without him. But, uh, got it. Got but it. that's with, uh, that's with both Brandon Johns and Adrian Nunez returning. I expect Nunez to move on. He did the whole senior day thing. Uh, we'll see what happens with Brandon Johns. Uh, and that also assumes zero attrition from uh, the draft eligible guys and uh, the rest of the roster, which never happens. As you said, uh, Michigan was one right. of a 
very few number of teams to not experience a transfer out last offseason. So for the sake of this discussion, I guess let's suppose Dickinson's gone and um, they get Diabate and, and Houston back. Um, just because I feel like that's like the most likely scenario, I suppose. Uh, I hope. Where? <laughs> yeah, definitely hope. Um, where do we feel like Michigan needs to look in the transfer portal? And assuming they get, you know, that help from the transfer portal, which I think is a pretty safe assumption. The transfer portal is so rich with prospects. Um, it depends, you know, what you're going to get in terms of what kind of contributor it is. But there's really a lot in the portal nowadays. Um, where do we see the, you know, the the ceiling and, and floor for this team next year? Yeah, I mean, um, they could definitely have a high ceiling. I think one of the issues with the team this year was just that the the fit of the roster wasn't ideal with with Diabate playing next to Dickinson and then also just not having you know, having a really disappointing season out of Brandon Johns when you kind of expected him to be the guy who would help hold that front court rotation together. Um, kind of put Juwan Howard in a bind in terms of just how this team could play and really put this team in a bind when they needed Frankie Collins to be the point guard just because the the spacing around him wasn't what he needed for his style of play. Uh, so with this team, I mean, I definitely expect a, a step forward from Caleb Houston and then uh, Frankie Collins looks like somebody who can really run the offense. Uh, Jace Howard should be someone, or sorry, Jet Howard should be somebody who can come in and immediately be a, a pretty high level scorer. So there, there are definitely pieces where you look at this team and and see, um, you know, possibly a better regular season this time around. Hopefully, and and there's depth, uh, projected depth at at multiple spots with with Terrace Reed coming in as a as a big. You've got a, a couple wings coming in, and, and Howard and Glenn, and then you've got that point guard depth with Doug McDaniel. The the area where I could see Michigan adding one or two transfers is at shooting guard or small forward, just getting somebody in who's a knockdown shooter. Because we saw how much Michigan needed that this year. We know that Frankie Collins is not that, and uh, the jury's still out on Kobe Bufkin. Um, I have pretty high expectations for Buffkin still. I, I like his athletic profile and just, I mean, the, the kid was super young this year. Uh, he came in at 17. So um, there's there's a lot of space for him to get better. Uh, they have a top 100-ish player in Isaiah Barnes on the wing who redshirted last year. Um, I mean, there, there, there's potential on the roster, but I think if there's a spot where Juwan Howard is going to want to reach in and, and grab an experienced guy, it's it's probably going to be getting a wing shooter. The other spot is I can see him, depend, especially depending on uh, the draft decisions, uh, just going for a big man, even if that's just a like serviceable backup level guy. Um, the, you know, they might need a, one more body there, uh, depending on the Dickinson and Diabate decisions. Yeah, um, I think I agree. Um, I think that. I think if you if you lose Dickinson and Giabate, um, you need to get a true center. Uh, I, I like Terrace Reed a lot. Um, I think he's gonna be good, but you probably don't want him as like your starter. Um, and you would, if you didn't get a center and you lost Hunter and Dubate, you're probably looking at Brandon Johns and uh, Terrace Reed as your centers. And um, as the leader of the Brandon Johns, uh, I guess fan club, um, not not too many members these days. Uh, you, you probably don't want want that situation. (laughs) You want more than that. Um, you know, there's some good centers in the portal, so, you know, you could, you, you could definitely get a guy. Um, 
And uh, I think the other area is uh, probably need a two guard. Um, I think I'm, I'm also high on Kobe. I, I am not writing him off at all. He had his moments this year, but just clearly like not physically ready, which is something that, you know, can easily be changed by an off season and uh, Camp Sanderson. But, you know, usually I, I would say the, the trajectory of non like elite uh, players in Michigan is like, okay, kind of undersized, not quite ready at, for, as a freshman. Then you get buff in an off season. <laughs> and then it takes like another year to like fully grow into that body, you know? Um, so I think like, I think he'll be a contributor next year and play, play a lot more minutes, but probably I, I don't see him as like being like, Oh yeah, he's ready to just handle the two next year. Um, Cause it's a lot of minutes you got to pick up from Eli Brooks. Uh, so I would, I'd like to see them get, you know, I don't know if you mentioned Sa- Sam Sessons from, uh, from uh, Penn state is in the portal. Um, I, not necessarily specifically him, but like that's a type of guy that I could see them, you know, going after and, and being successful. Um, other than that, I mean, I'm kind of of the opinion that you have a couple of good wings on. Well, I guess not a couple of good wings, but you have options there. I think Terrence Williams should be in a starting role, whether that's the three or the four, you figure it out. Then Caleb Houston's probably coming back. Um, like you said, you got Isaiah Barnes. Barnes, you got Will Shetter, who uh, is uh, apparently, you know, the coaches really like behind the scenes. So he can play a little bit of the four. So. Look, you're going to have some things to figure out. Um, and uh, there's it's hard to say what they should do in the portal without, you know, really knowing yet. Um, but I think the I think the areas where you feel pretty good is um, Frankie Collins at point. I think he's ready to step up. Um, and then you've got, you know, Houston uh, Williams and then, you know, whoever comes back of Jabate and um, and uh, I guess Hunter. Uh, technically, could come back as well. So, yeah, you know, obviously, if Dickinson comes, Dickinson comes back, comes change back it change, yeah, change everything. Um, which, hey, I'd be very much in favor of. But yes. uh, you know, we'll talk about that when it happens. Um, do we want to get into women's basketball outlook? We did talk about it a little bit. Earlier. Uh, yeah, might as well, might as well do it a little bit. You know, they. My sense of this team is that um, you know, Nas Hillman declared for the WNBA draft today, and she was somebody who, in the post game press conference last night. I wasn't. I won't say she made it sound like she was returning. Uh, she certainly made it sound like it was something that, like, she was at least thinking about. Um, and I think, given how tremendously close the the four seniors who have been together all four years are, um, which are uh, Hillman and then Amy Dilk, Emily Kaiser, and Danielle Rauch, um, that that just sounds like a class that you know they have been through a ton together. They have been through it as a group and they've accomplished i think more than any of them really imagined uh that was really the message uh particularly from daniel roush uh in the aftermath of of that game so i uh you know michigan has scholarships available um for one or two of the seniors to come back um they're at 13 right now out of the 15 scholarship cap but uh I think the only one who really, I you know, I could be wrong about Dill Kaiser and Rauch, but I I just get the sense that they're they're moving on. Um, that this whole season has just kind of felt that way. Um, but Leah Brown seems like she might be both pretty intent on having a, a better end to her senior year than being off and on injured uh, as she was to end this one, and she's also kind of 
on the fringe of WNBA draft projections, although those are notoriously unreliable um, because uh, there's very little information out there to work with. Um, but she might be somebody who wants to come back, be the centerpiece of the team instead of the number two option and show the WNBA that she's worthy of a draft spot. Um, meanwhile, Michigan has three incoming freshmen, uh, a top 50 forward in Alyssa Crockett, um, who can also play on the wing a little bit. Uh, just inside the top 100 four-star guard, Kate Clark. And I don't know where she'd land because she's international, but a big forward, 6'3 Australian, uh, Kira Evans. So um, there is, uh, you'll be shocked to know there's uh, scant information on prospects outside, I don't know, the top three in uh, women's basketball. But um, in terms of the general talent level, uh, Michigan still continues to kind of raise things up. So there's going to be additional depth. I really liked this, uh, the freshman class that they had that they brought in this year. And Layla Felia was really the only player who got extensive playing time. But Ari Wiggins has a lot of potential as a blazingly fast point guard. Um, and then Jordan Hobbs is super interesting as a huge wing. She's six one, but plays almost like a guard. Um, and then they have a six two. Uh, big and Taylor Gibson uh, also entering her second year. So I think there's, there's a fair amount of potential with, um, you know, particularly if Leah Brown comes back, but even if she doesn't, you, you've got Layla Felia as somebody to really build around on this team. You've got a, a former high level recruit in Cameron Williams, whose game is uh, she's obviously not going to be Nas Hillman, but she has kind of a similar style of play. Isabel Verajao is a massive center who uh, I was just going to say that was someone that I don't think she got She didn't get a lot of playing time this year, but she came in in a game that I watched. I am totally blank on what it was. And I like, she jumped off the floor as someone that not only big, but like looked pretty athletic at that size. Yeah, no, she's got a, a pretty rare combination of size and ability to move. And the, the thing for her has just mostly been, either being stuck behind, uh, I, I can't overstate how good Emily Kaiser was on defense this year. And then, I mean, Verajal missed uh, all of last year because of COVID tra uh, travel issues. Uh, and I think that put her way behind both in kind of conditioning and also just in getting more comfortable in Michigan system on both ends. So she, earlier in the season, I, uh, you know, I thought particularly on defense, she was having a tough time just kind of having the instincts, knowing where to be. And at center, you, you have to know where to be. Uh, as the season went along, she became more comfortable and impactful on that end. And there's uh, she's got great touch around the hoop. I think there's some hope that she could really break out. Uh, I mean, we saw Emily Kaiser go from somebody who had barely played at all to a, a critical part of an Elite Eight team. And we can see something pretty similar with, with Vera Zhao. Um, and, uh, I could very much see that with either Elise Stuck, who's somebody who they, they kept trying to get on the floor this year as a, as a six, one, uh, forward slash wing and, um, Ari Wiggins, uh, you know, I, I think there's, there's a lot of talent on the roster. Um, you get Maddie Nolan back as kind of a, a reliable shooter. Hopefully they'll develop some shooters around her and then. We'll see. This could be a team that that plays with a little bit more up and down pace next year if uh, 
if you've got Philae and Wiggins as your as your starting backcourt, that should be a team that wants to get out and run a little bit. So we could see some stylistic changes, and um, I, I don't know if an elite eight is on the table again without uh, Nas Hillman, but um, a lot hinges on that Leah Brown decision, and then we'll see. I, I mean, there's a lot of talent on this team. It's also very tough to replace Nas Hillman. So uh, until things shake out a little bit more, I'm not going to venture a guess about where Michigan kind of lands within the Big Ten next year, but Kim Barnes of Orico has very clearly raised the baseline of this program uh, to a level where I think you can at least expect um, an NCAA tournament bid. Um, it would be a disappointment for them not to do that, and then we'll see how it kind of develops from there. Yeah, two things I'll add in. Um, it, it's going to be interesting because uh, kind of similar to the men's side, the Big Ten women's basketball is getting really good. Um, across the board, um, Ohio State, Maryland, you know, there's a lot of programs that have been good for a while, but there's also some that are kind of, you know, like Michigan come uh, sort of up and coming. Um, so it should be, you know, it's good because it's going to be create situations where even if you have a relatively underwhelming year by conference standards, you can still do enough to make it into the tournament. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, progress is not always linear. Um, so it would not be obviously surprising to see them take a step back next year. But, yeah. uh, you know, obviously I think it, it, Kim Barton's Rico has done enough to show that you know, this, this program is just absolutely heading in the right direction. And uh, that's really awesome because it's cool to have um, another another really competitive team to root for. Yeah, we'll um, see if that also uh, impacts the transfer market at all. Um, because, it, it you know, the transfer portal exists in the women's game too. And has been utilized increasingly uh, often. And, you know, Leah Brown is a Nebraska transfer. So Michigan has shown a willingness to utilize the portal before. And that might be a way for them to, you know, even potentially bring in a starter caliber player that uh, really changes the outlook depending on who comes back and who leaves. So um, Michigan putting themselves in, in in front of this many eyeballs as a, as an up and coming program, uh, not only helps with high school recruiting, but might really help with uh, convincing somebody in the portal that they're the difference to get Michigan to that next level. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of uh, really promising programs, um, we get to the end of this podcast and we'll talk about the team that is competing for an actual <laughs> national championship. Yeah. Um, in uh, not not this weekend, but the weekend after. Uh, Michigan hockey. We have not touched too much on Michigan hockey because we are not hockey experts. Um, although I I've pretty much watched every game this year. Um, I am still just not. You know, it's it's a game that takes a while. I think to like uh, understand what's. Um, what's going on at like a schematic level um, hard to keep track of like who's on the floor. Um, Cause they all look the same in their, you know, jerseys. Um, so it's like getting, getting used to like what lines are out there and all that, uh, you know, we're not experts and uh, that's why I think we've, we've stayed away, but it's worth talking about because this team is awesome. Um, potentially, you know, I mean, it's, it's probably the best team in college hockey. That doesn't mean that they're going to win uh, the national title because nope. It's single and single elimination hockey, which is extremely random, but they have made a frozen four, um, the 26th in program history, the most of any program all time. And, uh, you know, if not this year, then, I mean, you can't say then when, because you could basically win a national title whenever in college hockey, it's just a random chance. But, um, 
you know, this team is very well positioned to, you know, and probably is the favorite to win the uh, national title. Um, they, uh, they played uh, AIC on Thursday or, yeah, Thursday, I believe, um, or Friday. Sorry, it doesn't matter. But they played them on Friday um, and uh, more or less dominated, scored two goals in like the first like 30 seconds. Um, it was not really competitive after that. Uh, so as you expect, Michigan was the number one overall seed and AIC was the uh, lowest overall four seed. Um, and and that's never come back to bite Michigan before. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and uh, I definitely don't remember what, what Ace is referring to. Uh, this is another um, Ace's old moment. Um, but uh, I am, <laughs> I'm assuming that something happened in the past, uh, Michigan losing to uh, a, the worst overall seed. Let's just move um, on. <laughs> yeah, we can we can definitely move on. Um, and uh, it was, you know, Michigan clearly had more talent, was pretty dominant, not much to say there. Um, Quinnipiac uh, looked like it was going to be a similar story. They get two goals in the first period, two goals in the second, kind of coming to the third, um, up 4 nothing. Uh, really kind of flexing, like not feeling like they're necessarily, um, you know, being challenged too much, just better athletes overall at Quinnipiac. Um, they uh, then proceed to, out of nowhere, just really all I can say is start playing badly and yes. <laughs> give, up, give up three goals in quick succession. Um, I'll say that, you know, I'll try not to get two X and O's or, because I don't know any of that stuff, but I think this is a Michigan team that um, – although it is supremely talented um, is overall like not the best defensive team, pretty good, but not the best defensive team um, is not very good at parking the bus, uh, so to speak. Um, a lot no, of they times, stay you know, aggressive. <laughs> yeah, they very much stay aggressive. A lot of times hockey teams, when you get up for nothing, um, you know, you really just kind of like, it you start clear, like a Michigan just, State just, game. Yeah. Clearing pucks, <laughs> laying down in the front of the net, et cetera. That is not something this Michigan team does particularly well um, because they really like to attack. Um, and I think they they really got punched in the mouth and uh, uh, went back on their heels. And it felt a lot like, um, you know, this team was, uh, this was four to three. This was a, started off four nothing in the, in the fourth period or the third period um, and was four to three with about four minutes left. Um, and really feel like, felt like Quinnipiac was like definitely going to tie it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, fortunately for us, um, Quinnipiac's coach uh, decided that he didn't want to do that and pulled his goalie and uh, with three minutes left, which was just a Bold. pretty <laughs> baffling decision given how much Quinnipiac was dominating at this point um, on the offensive end. And Michigan immediately scored an empty netter, followed by another empty netter, followed by a Quinnipiac goal to make it six to four and followed by another Michigan goal to uh, end the scoring at seven to four. Um, So just a normal three goal win uh, for Michigan hockey to advance to a frozen four. Um, This for me, you know, a little bit foreboding in terms of like the way this team uh, got, you know, complacent, but I will say like, Michigan tends to really play up to their competition. And I think that this is definitely a team that's susceptible to like letdowns based on teams that they feel like they should be blowing out. And that luckily won't happen from here on out because uh, the only teams left are one seed Denver, one seed Minnesota state and two seed Minnesota. Um, So 
lot of times you'll have a lot of upsets in in college hockey. Not this year, all chalk more or less. Uh, so, you know, it's it's going to be tough. You base it, 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 they're they're three. You know, Michigan's probably the best team in the country, but they've got uh, you know three of the other best five teams in the country maybe to uh, to play to win a national title. So, uh, you know, it's going to be an awesome weekend. Um, and I'm I'm actually really looking forward to it. Uh, you know, hopefully they can uh, uh, pull out the title. Um, Ace, anything to add here on the hockey side? No, I'm only frustrated that we have to wait an extra week. Um, it is frustrating. Um, not sure why. The, the way that hockey is managed in general um, is pretty uh, baffling in terms of where the tournament is and uh, the regionals are and why they do like two games and then yeah it's it's just really all over the place i, I don't get why they don't just do it on sunday uh, it, because i know you're trying to avoid the ncaa basketball tournament obviously but they go uh saturday monday so yeah so you could just go if you go friday sunday like yeah. it's not and also like i mean college hockey is look they could do a lot to grow the sport but it's not like they're competing with like the people that are watching that are not like, a lot of those aren't the same eyeballs, <laughs> like, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, um, so anyway, but, uh, should be great. And would be awesome to, you know, this program has been really dominant. It's just been kind of unlucky to not win a national title since, you know, 98. Um, so hopefully they get in remember. that drought. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely don't, um, <laughs> uh, last item, spring football, the spring game is on Saturday. We definitely didn't just find that out before recording. Um, there has not been a lot uh, of of leakage out of the football program um, in terms of like uh, we, had, know, we had a brief JJ lines. McCarthy injury uh, yeah. scare that turned out to not be much of a scare at all. Yep, yeah, JJ McCarthy has been sitting out, I believe, or at least not sitting out, but limited. So I'd be surprised to see him, you know, get a whole lot of throws in the game. Um, which I don't think has the QBs will of, be live. <laughs> yeah, so you know that's opened the door for it. Seems like Kate has a pretty strong grasp and has. Uh, has, uh, you know, improved a lot. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see there because we talk about Cade like he's like, you know, the steady veteran and the high floor, low ceiling, but he is only in his second year of starting coming up. So it's not totally out of the realm of possibility that he gets a lot better, um, which is something that I probably, you know, I'm also guilty of uh, of leading that narrative. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Cade plays. Um, I imagine they'll see, you know, we've, seen a lot of spring games under Harbaugh and pretty much every single one of them. Uh, the offense was like totally different from what you see uh, the first actual game. Um, so, you know, it'll be, I guess, interesting to see what, what this Matt Weiss offense looks like, if it looks any different, but like at the same time, I, I don't know it's they Jim Harbaugh football coaches in general hate showing things. Jim Harbaugh is a football coaches, football coach, and he hates, 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 uh, showing any looks that he might potentially show in an actual game. Um, so uh, other storylines to watch, freshman receivers are getting a lot of praise. Um, Mike Sainer still getting a lot of praise as a nickel. He's moved over from wide receiver. So we'll see if that, um, you know, shows itself on the field. Um, and uh, I guess pass rushers, um, because, you know, the young pass rushers are, should really be giving their tryouts right now. Uh, for, you know, replacing uh, Ajabo and Hutchinson. So, and that's something that you can show, you know, in a spring game going is going up against a, what we think should be a really good offensive line. So um, yeah, uh, the let's, let's see what the edges look like, I guess. Um, and uh, see, you know, two new, two new coordinators that definitely aren't going to be 
tapping into even one third of their playbook. So um, really limited uh, things you can take away from spring games. Um, but it is fun to watch football. Um, so, you know, check it out. It should be on Big Dead Network. Yeah, football's good. And it's definitely more worthwhile for the spring game to try to make minor personnel related takeaways than to do anything super schematic because like you said they're going to uh keep most everything in the bag for this one yep um first spring game since uh 2019 i think you're right 20 yeah because i think i i think i went to that spring game i think that was right after i graduated um i went to the 2019 spring game which was Shea's second year. And then they got, yeah, because the 2020 spring game, I think just got COVID out. Yeah. <laughs> and then the 2021 spring game, they just said no. <laughs> <laughs> we're just not doing that. After last yeah, year, we're, we're not, not doing, doing it. that. And yeah, everybody no, we're not was in favor it. of that. We didn't want to think about uh, yeah. it. <laughs> and we're like, they're like, it was like, are you sure you don't want to do something to ingratiate yourself to fans? They're like, nope. And it's like, okay, <laughs> <Absolutely> well, <not. laughs> you're really, you're really, uh, you're really going for broke here in terms of having a successful season. And um, you know what? They, worked they out. did. And we got owned. Um, that is it for uh, the first and maybe depending on the feedback only ever episode of Dan hosting uh, the bucket problem. Um, follow at bucket problem on Twitter go to bucketproblem.com and subscribe the to the bucketproblem.com <laughs> the bucketproblem.com do not go to bucketproblem.com i don't know where um, that goes <laughs> don't know where that goes uh, you know what if but if you like that then that's also our website sure um, <laughs> subscribe to the newsletter and the pod uh, rate review and subscribe to the free pod use promo code bucketproblem at homefield apparel and promo code bucketprob on pointsbet um, Still 20% we, off subscriptions to the site until uh, April 1st. So do that now. Now, now, yes, now. And, and I will um, be making a big promise right now that uh, we might have to cut out in the future if I just don't and <laughs> not able to do this. But I'm planning, <laughs> planning on writing some things in the offseason um, for football, uh, doing some like position, um, Big Ten position previews. Um, a project that I've tried uh, the previous two off seasons and made it all the way up to like halfway through the offensive line previews because um, it's really really hard and I have a I have a uh, I have a, a, a day job but um, we, I'm gonna try to do it again um, so you know that's uh, that's little incentive to subscribe to the the the, the newsletter then uh, then yeah and maybe if it. enough of you do it we can convince Dan to quit his day job day job and just do this full time. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, you just look. I've got <laughs> if if you can provide a a, a, a a you know benefits and a pay raise and uh, yeah, no, I'm sure I'm sure it's in the bu- in the budget. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, talk to you guys all uh, next week.